the Special Strength Fitness Podcast. In today's episode, I speak with Muay Thai coach extraordinaire and just a generally great human being, Zubair Khan. I cannot say enough good things about him, both on a personal level and on a professional level, having been taught by him the majority of my Muay Thai career, if you would. I am extremely excited to get into this conversation. We cover so many important topics. I cannot wait to share it with you guys. So without further ado, please help me welcome Zubair Khan. Okay, guys, it's my privilege to introduce you to our guest today, Zubair Khan. Um, he is one of the most amazing people I've met in my life. No joke. Uh, I, I don't say that because he's he was my coach and you know he's kind of helped me a lot in my life, learned a lot of good things. I've seen the things he does. I've seen what he does with people and the, and the community. And and when somebody inspires you in that way, uh, I think that those people are worth sharing with the world. So I'm super glad that we can make this happen. Zubair, thank you for joining us, brother. Honestly, it's absolutely my pleasure, Imtiaz. When you uh, sent the invite to me, I said yes right away. Anything that has Imtiaz's name on it, <laughs> it's something that I'd love to be part of. And you know, you're bigging me up too much. Uh, the reality is, I probably benefit more from my interactions with students and people that I've quote unquote coached. I think the the learning curve and the development's been uh, two ways, and I'm really grateful for the opportunities that I've had and all the people that I've gotten to uh, interact with over these years. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to say I don't think I've hyped you up enough because uh, from a personal standpoint, just so the listeners can understand, uh, I started training Muay Thai for the very first time back when I was in university, right? I was transitioning from second to third year. And my very first coach was actually one of your students, Sharif. So your reach goes way beyond, you know, just when we trained together. And once I met him and I met Chris at that time in the university as well, you know, he told me about your gym. And I said, well, I have to check this gym out. So after that kind of first year of training in university, I transitioned over to you. And it was just a, such an amazing experience for me. And, I, and I'm going to talk about that today. Before we get into that, um, I really want to go right back to when you were a young boy, right? How did you get into sports, athletics, you know, the lifestyle uh, that, that an athlete has? If you could give us a history of where you started and how you kind of came up and became a coach eventually. Sure. So um, I'll try to be quick about it because it, it could it could be a whole discussion in and of itself. <laughs> but um, parents were immigrants from Pakistan, uh, came to Canada, settled here without any family or relatives. Um, you know, I think Pakistanis were still relatively new here, and they they felt um, a little out of place sometimes. Maybe experienced some discrimination mm-hmm. and at least at least um, some disadvantages. Um, I'm the youngest of four children. I have three older sisters. In our culture, um, the men got to man up <laughs> and kind of yeah. be the protectors of, of the family. Yeah. There's a little bit of that stereotype, although obviously things are different now, and, and uh, um, women are, are certainly just as capable of taking care of their families and, and doing all the things that men can as well in the society, which is great. But at the time, that was sort of the the uh, perspective that my parents had: is that I needed to, if something happened to my dad going to be the caretaker, so to say, of the family. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I think my nature is just I'm very social, very soft. Um, I, I appreciate people's feelings. Um, I value people's feelings and emotions and rights. Um, I was very artistic growing up as a kid. I liked to paint and draw and appreciated nature and things that maybe weren't <laughs> stereotypically as masculine in the Pakistani yeah. culture. And then, you know, being the only boy, I think, you know, I, I hung out with my sisters a lot, and um, I had a I have a lot of the the traits that would traditionally be more valued in in women. I had to have to say it like that. Like 
I talk a lot. Um, I talk about emotions. I'm very expressive yeah. about feelings and, you know, I, and I, I love my sisters and I, I love them to death for that and for uh, helping me grow up like that. But anyways, my dad was kind of like, look, you need to toughen up a bit. And there was this point where we're at um, like a family gathering. I must have been like four. And mm-hmm. this other kid literally grabbed me by my hair and pulled me off of my little, <laughs> was a, not, you know, a tricycle, but you know, those little riding things that you sit on, like a little toy vehicle. Yeah. And then he threw me aside and jumped on and rode off. <laughs> I had to sort of saw this out of the corner of his eye. It's like, for me to do something to stand up for myself and i didn't i just kind of shrugged my shoulders and grabbed another <laughs> one right and he was like no oh my god i think it just kind of touched a soft spot in him and he was like oh my god we got to do something about this boy and he's gonna grow up here and you know not that we want him to fight and to have yeah. any kind of conflict with anybody we're peaceful people and want to have good you know be good abiding citizens and contributors to society but yeah you know, there's there's a confidence that comes with being able just having that that knowledge inside that you can defend yourself. So um, that concurrently with all the Bruce Lee movies we would watch. Yeah. Bruce Lee has that common trait too. Enter the Dragon, Return of the Dragon. He's Chinese like immigrants to the United States or to England, wherever it is. And, or, or in Rome, in one movie, right? So he's, he's, um, they're, they're facing discrimination. There's gang wars. There's people trying to muscle them and bully them out of the restaurant. And he's able to defend himself. And he's kind of the leader of the pack. Brings people together, brings the best out of them, gets them to stand up for their rights effect. So that was very inspiring um, to my dad. And, you know, we would sit there and watch these movies together. Um, he loved uh, Muhammad Ali and how vocal he was about what his beliefs were from Mm-hmm. political perspective from a social right perspective from a, a religious and spiritual perspective as well just a real champion inside the ring and outside of the ring so we saw these these role models and um so he knew martial arts was something that would have been good for me um i can't really <laughs> to be honest i was not the greatest athlete i i, I still am not a very good athlete um from the physical training perspective so if you're going to ask me questions about like strength and conditioning and fitness and, uh, and all of the science of that it's really not my specialty and i lean very heavily actually on people like you like you used to teach uh, strength and conditioning right. classes at my gym because i recognize it's just not my not my, my my main focus right um so yeah so martial arts became kind of really part of my identity i started with taekwondo i was like four or five years old I did it for what eight years until i was like 12 13 got my second degree black belt my dad wow. was like what? don't just quit when you have your black belt just go a little bit beyond that so he pushed me to go to second degree black belt even though at the same time I had just discovered Muay Thai, I grew up yeah. in a small town in Cambridge, and uh, there were these two amazing brothers there, coaches, the Fady brothers, uh, Ed John oh, yeah, yeah, and John right, yeah. Fady. Um, they moved on and they, they coached a whole bunch of great athletes and future coaches that have been part of the whole um, Muay Thai kind of ecosystem in Ontario and Canada. Those are my coaches, and I spent you know many many years there with them, competing in Muay Thai under them. And then I think you know there there came a point where I loved it as a lifestyle and I wanted to pursue the athlete side of it and be a fighter and um, be a champion. And that it really just brought that out in me. Um, my dad didn't really want that. He was like, no, 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 we just wanted you to toughen up and man up and just be able to stand mm-hmm. on, stand up for yourself. But uh, he didn't really like that fighting thing. And it was a little bit of butting heads in the house because of it, but eventually he accepted it. He, he saw my passion for it and then he supported it and he was very proud of me in the end. And my dad actually passed away uh, a few years ago, but he was always, you know, my, my rock, my inspiration, and my main motivator and supporter uh, all these years. When did you that move to Canada? Yeah. yeah when did you move to Canada? 
I was born and raised in Canada. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. like, this is where all of those experiences were, right? Everything was here in Canada. It's so amazing. You know, I, I was speaking with uh, Fatima Lee Garcia. You remember she taught at the gym as well for a little bit. And she echoed some of the same things that you're saying, how, you know, people of color, let's say, who grew up in a Western country, like you did, I did, she did, uh, we've all had to kind of face that discrimination or phase of discrimination, I'll say, uh, you know, while we were growing up. And that sort of lends to the character that we end up having at the end of it, right? I, I, at least for me, for sure, that's definitely helped me identify the kind of person I want to be and the people I want to be around and identify the things that I can help fix if I see some you know, injustice happening. Yeah, no, that's, that's a huge point. I think that, that principle of your disadvantage can become your advantage yeah. is, is so universal, whether we're talking about emotional development, intellectual development, um, athletic development. Your disadvantage can become your advantage if you learn to harness it. And the opportunity there and the growth opportunities and going through struggle and having to keep up with others that have an advantage on you, it's uh, eventually, if you stay the course, can really be uh, a powerful growth tool and put you ahead down the road uh, eventually, if that sort of makes sense. I can give you some examples yeah. of what I mean, but I don't want to derail uh, your train of thought there. No, 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 of course. Yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, you know, someone who might come from like an abusive relationship as a child uh, or uh, an impoverished situation as a child learns the value of freedom, learns the value of love, learns the value of mm-hmm. um, possessions and hard work. And they stay the course and they end up out hustling people because they're, they're so driven and because of where they came from and how they wanted to have a better future for, the, for their children, for instance. Or, um, you know, they're coming up in an abusive environment and they say, I never want to put anyone through what I'm going through now. And so they sort of excel in the opposite of that and they become this champion for, for, you know, um, you know, the rights of children and, you know, you understand where I'm going with that. And then from an athlete, see athletes who are, are not maybe, uh, I don't want to say naturally because I think everybody to some degree can, can build themselves into pretty much anything if you do it right. But I mean, someone who's not um, originally, powerful or fast or big or muscular who's training among people like that they're gonna have to discover other advantages to keep up yeah i have athletes that i've I've trained who were 105 pounds tall skinny teenagers really committed to the sport um and then uh, sparring with dudes they're just like big and muscular on steroids i don't know what just like big strong guys who are like muscling them around so the repercussion of the skinny kid to make a mistake in that situation is so much higher than the one who's just all armored up with muscle. Doesn't really have to worry about getting tagged with a little jab or a little push kick to the stomach. But the skinny kid now has to develop that foresight to say, I don't want to get touched, period. I can't afford to get touched, period, because it hurts and it's going to cost me. So they develop this foresight that eventually becomes an advantage. Um, there is a book I read that I, I really love and I highly recommend at least the first half of it for athletes. Yeah. It's called The Two-Second Advantage. Mm-hmm. I, I was on a cruise ship vacation with my, my family a few years ago and I just went to the library and I just wanted something to read. So I just stuck out to me. I grabbed it. It's actually a business book. It's all about being like two steps ahead of your competitors in, in business, mm-hmm. and understanding the whole marketplace so you can prepare in advance. The first half, or at least the first third of the book, it's about Wayne Gretzky for the most part. 
that he's right. like this weaker, skinnier, smaller, slower, unathletic, not genetically or naturally gifted, powerful, like not powerful hockey player, but loved the sport and very passionate about it. And then because of those disadvantages, he learned to recognize patterns on the ice or they unfolded. And so he eventually coins this term, go where the puck is going to be, not where it is. Don't go where yeah. the puck is going to very be famous, two yeah. seconds ahead. And then he becomes this, you know, probably one of, arguably the most famous hockey player in history and one of the most decorated. So, yeah, I mean, again, don't want to derail where you're going with that, but these are just, when you said that, it like ties into so many of these themes of, of self-development and of coaching and athleticism and just personal development in general that you have a disadvantage. If you spin it right, it can actually be a very powerful advantage because it lends experiences to you that no one else, is, no one else has to go through. And, and facing that adversity that you essentially can't escape in that situation, right? I mean, when someone's across from you and you're both training or, or, or sparring or competing and you, you know you're here now and you have to face that adversity, that really forces you to, you know, understand you need to level up here. You need to figure something out. There is no escape. It's, it's very much like life. Sometimes you come across things you just can't avoid. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, uh, you know, if we're going to get in the topic of, of full contact fighting, I think that for me is the heart of it. And that's sort of what attracted me to it because I'm, I grew up here awkward, socially didn't really fit in very well as a kid, duality of cultures. I'm family's very traditionally religious, very strict, very practicing, very Pakistani and sort of coming to this country with a little bit of suspicion or feeling like people are mm. out to get them and kind of have that sort of vibe in the house and like want to protect our culture, our ways and don't integrate, like just be careful not to integrate and just become something other than what we are. Right? That was mm-hmm. kind of the, the dichotomy. And then, and then I got to go to school, I got to go to the gym and I got to try to fit in there and dress how they dress, talk how they talk or else I'm just this outcast. Like that's, that was the, the, the really difficult emotional kind of struggle I had. And in, in, uh, in Muay Thai or in kickboxing or in full contact fighting, it sort of, gave me that place where I was fully accepted and I could make myself successful. I could, I train really hard. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks. My efforts are going to show here. It doesn't matter the color of my skin or my beliefs or value. You know, my, my own, it's my own hard work. I could start and create something for myself uniquely from scratch. And, and, um, you know, feeling inadequate a lot of the time growing up, I think that, that feeling of being able to fight for the first time out of the corner when the big guys have, for years been kind of keeping you in the corner and just beating up on you. And that moment when I just bit down on my mouth guard and fought my way out and you'd yeah. step back, I was like, whoa, I just did that. That was so transformative all the way from that first experience to winning a title, fighting internationally, winning a 17 man tournament, and, you know, like being, being first time fighting as a main event athlete, being on a poach, all these things, just little, you know, I mean, it's a it's a two way sword. Like sometimes you get into these situations, and it just it becomes all about stroking your own ego. I think there's right. a sort of a threshold there where yeah, one can pursue it just so that they have a cool Facebook picture. <laughs> but I think really, yeah, really, we get a lot of that. Yeah. You know, we didn't have cool cameras and cell phone cameras when I was fighting as a youth, so we don't I don't have a lot of cool pictures. But it was, you know, you could fight just like for reputation and because you like being in front of people. But I think what what I've always struggled within myself is say. I do this because I want to grow as a person. And just like you said, Imtiaz, you put yourself in these difficult situations. Sometimes you you face adversity, and if you intentionally mm-hmm. sometimes you in front in these challenges, they're just all growth opportunities. Um, 
you know, I find yeah, that sorry, so... I, I have a tendency to ramble on. <laughs> Just stop. No, I, I appreciate it. This is an open <laughs> format. You can, you can share whatever you're comfortable sharing here. Uh, you know, I appreciate that because my own experience going through Muay Thai was similar to that in my first half where, you know, uh, okay, so let me preface this. I consider myself a Muay Thai athlete, not a fighter, an athlete. Okay. I, I came to terms with this a lot later in my life and you know, after finishing up the majority of my Muay Thai time, but I consider myself that uh, for, for a certain period of time in my life, right? So basically when I started in university to basically when I finished up with Warrior and I said, okay, I have to take care of the family now because I have a kid and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I just don't have the time for it. That's my time period. Now I had an interesting experience where obviously my training was at Warrior at your gym. That was sort of my main training experience. So I grew up there with the rest of the guys. And I remember initially I was like, okay, so I've never had anything to fuel anger in me in my life, so to say. Like I've been discriminated against and whatnot, but it's never mm -hmm. boiled down to a point where I was, I had a chip on my shoulder. I never had that. So that didn't fuel me to compete or perform. Right. So I, I had to find it through that process. Of why am I putting myself in the ring where it's scary and someone's swinging for your head? And you know, like, why would <laughs> I want to do that? And it, it always kept coming back to achievement. For me, that was always a thing. I wanted to see if I could do it. Yeah. Right. Totally. And I remember, I, I, I so vividly, I'll never forget it. My first demo, it was at Warrior at the old gym. Right. I remember right. that. <laughs> I think it was the guy's name was Alex. Oh my God. Like I was a ball of nerves. Like I you wouldn't believe. I'm, I'm sure you know. And I remember I went in there with an injury. Actually, I don't know if you knew that. I went in there with an injury because in training, uh, I won't name who, but somebody had kicked me a particular hard way oh. on, yeah. on right in the middle of the thigh on the side, right where the IT band goes. Oh yeah, I remember the guy you, you were doing the demo was like a big muscular dude and he was throwing some pretty hard leg kicks, I think, from what I remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I remember thinking, you know, I had a moment in that demo match where I remember boxing with him and he didn't like that too much. He just wanted yeah. to slam kicks into me. And I kept taking them with my arms and my legs and I'm like, I don't know how much more I can do until yeah. it, towards the end, he connected in that same spot that I was injured. Uh -huh. now, now, mind you, I wasn't doing well. If this was a scored fight, I was not doing well. But that injured spot when I got hit there and I just felt I just couldn't get up anymore. I remember thinking, man, like this is miserable. But then I picked myself up, right? Like that's the whole experience. I said, okay, this is mm -hmm. adversity. You come back, you heal up, you come back, you do it again. And, you know, I, I trained and I enjoyed myself. I especially enjoyed sparring because later on I realized it gave me a place to test myself without putting myself in, in harm's way. And here's the ironic part of it. The only reason I was so adverse to harm or getting injured is because I don't know if you remember Mustafa, who used to train there. Uh, I forget Sorry. his last name. Not Sarwari, the other one. He was one of the older guys. Like he was a little bit shorter, skinnier guy. Mustafa, I think Mustafa Ali, maybe. I don't remember his last name. But the brother, one day I was sparring with him, <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, like you know, you can go for it. You know, like I, I, I can defend myself. We can move. You know, you can be a bit more, a bit more lively." And he's like, "No, I, I don't, I don't want to hit you in your head." Yeah. And I was like, "What, what do you mean?" And he's like, well, you know, religion, in my religion, we don't hit the head. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I promise you, it's like the movie Inception. That idea somehow got in my head. And this yeah. was way before my demo and it never left. And I never yeah. knew that till later on in the years when I started unpacking a lot. And I said, why did I kind of always hold myself back a little bit? There was always this nervousness in me. And I thought, well, first of all, I, I didn't need to prove myself as a fighter for me in my life to feel like, okay, like I have something that I have proven to myself. I, I had already mm -hmm. done that with some other sports. Sure. That was one reason for me personally. The second was, you know, this one guy said one thing and it just stuck with me mentally and it never left. And I realized I don't consider myself a fighter. I, I 
you know, I just, because I never had that. So I had, that was my weird kind of growth in that gym where I was like, man, initially the first half, I was like, yeah, let's go. And the second half, I was like, yeah, I'm happy with sparring. And I bring this up because there's so many people who want the combat experience. I did. And I'm so glad I got that, right? Because it, it really shows you how intense things can get. Yeah. Guys sacrifice so much to perform there. But then there are guys like me who later realize, well, I'm just there for the fitness or I'm just there to prove to myself I can hang with the guys. I don't want to fight. It's so interesting to me that one martial art can encapsulate so many different experiences and so many different levels of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's very, fighting is very unforgiving, mm -hmm. right? Um, if something could go wrong, it probably will, <laughs> right? Um, more often than not, if I take an athlete into competition, I think we're, you know, I can check all these boxes, but there's one little box here I wish we had, you know, maybe spent a little more time on it. Like more often than not, it's going to get exposed if it doesn't cost them the fight. Yep. So like, yeah, it's, it's very unforgiving and uh, you win or you lose, right? Very rarely there's a tie, but um, losing is very hard. Winning feels absolutely fantastic. The peaks are very high. The valleys are very low, dark and lonely, but um and it make, make or break people, right? So I, I like to look at the stats and the numbers of my athletes. And at one point, you know, when I got to about, okay, I've cornered about 200 mm -hmm. actual full contact fights now. How did they all go? And let's look at some trends and some you know, some numbers. And I found out that, wow, most people, almost all people who lose their first fight, they don't come back for more. Yep. And, you know, let me, let me uh, make a point here because I've noticed something as well. Most people who won, who win their first regional championship, I've seen this, like people will go to Iowa, they'll win that belt. Yeah. They'll never come back. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. always wondered what, what that's all about. Well, it's like, okay, how many people really want to pursue full contact fighting as a career? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. Many people do. Um, it's, well, one, it's not necessarily the most lucrative thing. You'd have to yeah. really, really be in love with the sport. Or maybe in some places in the world don't have a lot of other options. Um, you know, you have to really, like you said, there's so much that you have to sacrifice, right, to, yeah. to really do it all the way. So then, at some point, the question pops up. It's like, well, why am I doing this now? You know, I've, I'm a great athlete. I've achieved more from the sport than the great majority of people or other mm -hmm. people who show up at the gym have. I have something to prove for it now. I have this belt. I have these memories. I have these pictures. I have these stories to tell it so i'm good like why you know and then you 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 train you build up you build up you build up and then you win this, this championship and then it's like this is fantastic i kind of mm -hmm. want to just chill now and celebrate and eat and <laughs> you know stay up late <laughs> and, and just hang out with my my friends or my wife or my kids or you know refocus yeah. on my career or my job or get my marks back up in school like all the other yeah. things that have kind of been taking um my back seat um, and then to say, wow, like, okay, I got to do this all over again and start from scratch. Like it, it, it takes, it takes a lot. It takes a very, not only yeah. does it take a very particular person, it takes uh, a particular person in a very specific set of circumstances and state yes. in their life. Okay. Yes. Like I could tell you that when I was a little kid, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, I was 100% sure I was going to be the world professional champion. Mm -hmm. Every I train with said, you have what it takes. My boxing coach, my Muay Thai coach, people that I fought, people from other gyms, like a year, because I was the young up and comer. I was like 14 yeah. years old, knocking out adult men, traveling, winning belts, just 
I wasn't at the gym five, six days a week. I'm out jogging. I'm lifting weights. I'm doing something. Just all I could think about. I mean, I'd be like in an elevator and my, my mind is racing about, oh, I can knock this guy out. <laughs> like every human interaction is like my whole brain was like configured to like yeah. these movements. I'd be shadow boxing in front of the mirror, in front of the fridge, in front of the TV, just driving my family crazy, just absolutely obsessed. But I went to university, you know, that took a toll. There's a whole seven months I think I took off and you're trying to train between classes your whole schedule is disrupted you're pulling all-nighters and then um, i met my wife in my in university i got married in my last year so i was very young oh me too and then yeah. and there you go so you understand like there's a whole yeah. shift in priorities now it's not just yeah. about me if it's just me i'll sleep in a boxing ring and yes you know but they have a whole <laughs> other person and that other person has rights they have rights yes. on my time on what i'm doing with my time how i'm investing am i saving money am i thinking about our future our family getting a house a career and then, you know, absolutely right. And um, so now you have to like your whole time gets slipped, split in half, not even half, like more than half now has got to be focused on your on your future. And then I started working like full time corporate job. I'm like 23 yeah. years old. I moved to Toronto. I'm downtown, suit and tie job, Bay Street, like, you know, doing the thing. I remember having a fight where um, I had like no time to train. I would go, I'd, I'd show up at like 8 p.m. at night exhausted from a long day of like office work mm-hmm. and dealing with customers and clients and bosses and sales goals and whatever. And I'm literally in a suit and tie and I got to take that up and hang it up on the hook. And all these guys are looking at me change. I'm already tired. I've been, I've been sleeping well, but I'm training like that with a friend of mine who's just crushing me on pads. And I go and I fight this guy. And I heard that he um, works for his dad's plumbing pipe fitting company and took a whole three weeks off just to prepare and train oh, for wow. me. Yeah, you know, and it was a really, really good fight, and like I scored a knockdown, he scored a knockdown. I lost the point on points in the end, but it's you know, what if I could have taken three weeks off? Right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like yeah, what if I wasn't married or had kids? I have four kids now, you know, and then like even as a coach, it's been really, really hard because I have a growing family, I have four kids, and every time like we have a kid, that's more time I need to put at home, and it's it's my wife has rights on me, my kids have rights on me, my father mm-hmm. passed away, my mom has rights on me, I have to think about my future, I have to save money, I have debts to pay off, I have expectations to meet. So it's a very, very different set of circumstances, not only as an athlete, but also as a coach who doesn't have any of those things. They just have their gym and they can sleep mm-hmm. in the ring, they can sell their car, they can do personal training all day, take a risk, um, be on social media, pumping up, it's, it's just, it's such a huge like difference, right? So Fighting is like that. Coaching is like that. Life is like that. There are so, so, so many very talented people that have the potential to do great yeah. things, but circumstances don't allow it. Um, what yeah. was your? I, I want to ask you, what was your experience like? You know, going back into competition because you did that. What was it? Two years ago? Three years ago? Mm-hmm. Tell yeah, tell us about that. Like, ago. how was that experience? Now with your completely different life circumstances, with family, yeah. kids, so job, gym. When I when I stopped fighting, it was not because I was like okay, I think I'm good now. I hang up the gloves and I'm done fighting and I'm going to put that behind me. It wasn't like that. It sort of just slowly drifted out of sight and out of reach. My passion never ended for fighting. Mm -hmm. It's still there. I still want to fight and I still want to do it right. (laughs) I still want to be that world champion. And if I find a way to do it, 
I'm gonna do it. Watch, okay. Once a fighter, always I'm a fighter. Bernard right? Hopkins, this. <laughs> I'm gonna be forty. I'm gonna be forty years old in a few weeks, by the way. So wow, that's but amazing. I don't, I don't feel any different than uh, when I was 25. I don't like really physically. I'm fatter. I gotta, I gotta start eating clean. But like when I work out, when I train, I'm not, I don't feel really significantly different. I guess. Yeah. Okay. We'll see when I push myself and my body to its fullest extent. I might be calling you up and <laughs> Oh, by all training. means, always ready to help. We'll see. At, um, so uh, the question was, at what point did I stop? And Well, how was your experience fighting recently? Because like, <laughs> oh, your yes. life is completely different now, right? Okay. So what happened there was, um, you know, I got the itch. I was like, you know, team. so Muay Thai Ontario now holds the tryouts for Team Canada. You mm -hmm. place in the provincials, you get a spot in the nationals. You place the nationals, you default to Team Canada. And um, last time I fought in a world championship tournament was in, well, I did it twice, 2003, 2007. 2003, I actually placed a silver medal, 17-man bracket, pro amateur, huge win. I fought some really high caliber international top pros, um, made it to the final. The guy, I think the guy would have won anyways, but I had to stop because mm -hmm. I injured my leg. But honest, to his credit, I think even if I had an injury, I don't think I would have won that fight. Mm -hmm. I think silver was what was appropriate for me that year. But you know, I always had this my way. I gotta win gold somewhere. I gotta yeah. gotta win gold. So, or a pro, I either want a pro title, or I want to win gold at like if or like that, like a big international tournament. And I still have that as a goal in the back of my mind, right? You know, you, you can't let go of your dreams and, until absolutely, it's, you know, absolutely. you keep you keep going until the wheels fall off. That's that's my philosophy. I so, still want to win okay. a regional title sometime. Let's right? go, um, man! Uh, <laughs> I got I'm, I'm waiting for this <laughs> thing to end, and I'm like, let's get back to training. <laughs> Do it, right? So, uh, anyways, the team, the, the nationals, um, there, there was nobody in that brackets, which was mm -hmm. 178 pounds, which is heavy for me. Like when I won silver, I was 154. Mm -hmm. So like, what's the math? What is that? 24 pound difference. Yeah. Right? Like, so yeah, it's a huge, yeah. huge difference. Right. And, um, I really like 160, 165 is kind of mm -hmm. my favorite. Uh, if I could be lighter, I would, I'm not, I'm tall, but I'm very small bone and I can, I'm not usually bulkier muscular so yeah you can get down but um you know it was kind of short notice and there was no one in that bracket and i registered because i knew that if nobody else registered i would just default to team canada and i asked mm -hmm. and they said yeah you could do it if no one else registers if someone else had registered i wouldn't even have been able to make 178 i was too heavy i don't think i could have done oh, it oh i see okay so it was just kind of a like a, a just a wild card just throw my hat at my name in the hat see what happens and sure enough nobody was there so i default i'm 178 for Team Canada if I want the spot. And I was like, great. So this was, I think, what, like August? And my goal was to fight the next year in the world. Mm -hmm. And I had all that time. I would have picked up a fight or two, done it properly, been in peak shape, and I was ready to sacrifice and put in the time. But, you know, I guess the, the board of directors or whoever it is at the size are like, look, Zubir, I know you placed a, a silver medal at the Worlds before. You're an accomplished fighter, but dude, you haven't fought in 10 years. We, mm -hmm. we really like we've decided that we need to see what you can do before we allow you to go to the world so we'd like you to compete in the pan Ams. and now we're okay. talking like three months notice mm -hmm. which if you have a 10-year layoff is not very long not i was like oh crap i gotta lose like 40 pounds <laughs> really fast right so um i never tried it before i did keto it was the only thing i could think of that would get my weight down that fast like i could have trained my butt off but i had limitations with how much i could train i did keto and you know it, <laughs> I guess people have mixed reviews on that particular diet. It got my weight down for sure. Yeah. Um, but was my training really good? No, without 
of, you know, you know, the science of it, carbohydrates yeah. and, and glycogen, exactly, you lose that ex- yeah. explosiveness. So, yeah. you know, I, the weight was coming down. I was mentally alert and energetic, but I wasn't explosive. Like I didn't even have time to touch weights. I, I barely hit pads. It was really just a lot of road work, a lot of running, a lot of like mm-hmm. solo training, shadow boxing, bag work, skipping, 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 get the weight done, get the weight down, dieting. And even still by the end of that, like I was still like, like worried and I was a bit heavy. And I was like desperate. I was down to like 1,200 calories a day for the last little stretch, just trying to really Whoa, shed. 1,200 for I, a guy I, your size? Oh yeah, my God. yeah. And then, yeah. And then um, I still had to cut some water. I was a bit dizzy on the scales and stuff. Ooh. So like I, I was not anywhere close to peak shape. Yeah. Even at 178, like I was a small 178 relative to the other dudes who were walking at 200 proper. Like I should have been a lot lighter. And I'm not trying to make excuses at all. Like course, I, it was yeah. a great, It was a great experience. I'm happy that I did it. Um, but it just, it wasn't me in my, my peak, my prime by any means. Right. So yeah. I went and fought, um, I ended up with four guys in my bracket. Uh, the guy I fought first was Mexico. He was a world champion bronze medalist, really powerful. I think his record something like 28 and two with 26 knockouts or something oh, like that. Wow. <laughs> like if you And, um, you know, I, I did my best. I did it. I think I, it was very slow pace. My idea was, I don't know where my conditioning is. If you don't fight for a long time, you don't really know how your body's going to respond. Yeah. So it'd play it safe. It's trying to slow this fight down. So I kept my distance. I was very evasive, trying to make a miss, trying to like stand scary and, and kind of make it not open up and try to rush me. Yeah. Pace myself. And we're getting towards the end of round one. I'm like, okay, well, I'm having a broken a sweat yet. This is good. It doesn't look good. It's a boring fight. Um, I landed some good shots. He landed a few good shots. Um, I know I hurt him a few times with 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 a hand. I think I saw his eyes roll a little bit. I landed a good knee. He wins, but super tough guy. Like my best shots, like not didn't phase him. And then he just got him with one really good kick. Uh, right in, I don't know if it was the liver just under my rib on the right side, but oh, I couldn't breathe for a good like thirty seconds. And I went down and I couldn't beat oh. the ten count. Never been dropped like that ever in my life. Um, my body just wasn't prepared to take kicks like that. <laughs> it's so. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the end of that. It was, um, you know, it was so it was, it was tough uh, end result. But I know the game fighting is unforgiving. Like I said, it doesn't yeah. hurt my self esteem. I know I could do it. I believe I could beat that guy just given enough time. Maybe exactly, I will come yeah. back and challenge him. But that's kind of what happened there. And it was just great to be back in there. Like it's just that moment where they've checked my gear, crowns off, your headgear's on, your gloves are on, the referee's calling you to the middle, right about to say fight. It's like whoa it's on it's been 10 years like that i felt this I felt, that I felt like at home again like this is just so exciting i was pumped i couldn't stop myself from smiling and it was like wow such a nice feeling obviously of course i wish i won but yeah like I'm, i I love the transformative feeling the growth that's, that's what i, I don't all about i don't know many so. people who would even like come back after 10 years <laughs> let alone you know go go and be a hopeful for the world competitions and have to qualify for that through a Pan Am. Like that's quite something after 10. That's, that speaks to your passion. Of course. Was it, was it Joe Rogan? who said something like he quoted someone else. And it was, it was this quote I saw recently on social media. It was something like about like uh, madness and success are companions and you don't really find one with us out the other. Something, something to that effect. Yeah. So yeah. call me crazy in but I have every intention of doing it again and doing it properly I this time. It. Like, <laughs> you know, I love it because I echo that. Like I was talking to my wife uh, a, a few weeks ago and I'm like, man, like I really miss training in Muay Thai. I, I just really miss that environment and the culture and the training. And I'm like, you know, I thought back to all the things that I didn't do correctly the first time around, which was, you know, I also was way heavier than I should have been at my size. Like for the Muay Thai, I'm used to um, like, other weight weight based sports like wrestling or something like that. It's a different weight category. Like a lightweight in wrestling is not the same as in Muay Thai. 
it took me a while to learn that. So I realized, man, like I do not perform at the weight that I for sure. So when at I'll tell you something that's interesting. Go back to the topic of like looking at numbers, metrics, statistics, right? So I'm looking at all the numbers, metrics, and statistics of all my fights, my teammates, my athletes I've trained, coaching, just every fight I could log and think and who won, who lost, and why. Mm-hmm. And when I really laid it out and listed it out, like on paper, like on a little spreadsheet, the like, holy smokes, the reason why people win and lose are, are really very obvious. I don't know how we overlook them and take fights and think that it's a good idea. <laughs> well, like to, to give you an example, right? Yeah. The list was something like, um, it's a pretty strong indicator that you'll lose your fight if you f- you're, you're cutting, you have a bad weight cut. Yeah. affects your energy um you're fighting in a weight class you don't belong in because the dudes are just too big or or you're cutting too much weight you're too tiny and that's that's not what you're meant to you fight an opponent who's just way out of your league um you haven't been training for two to three months consistently so that, that's an interesting one because athletes who are very experienced they take some time off because they got married or moved or started a new job or got injured or got sick or whatever then they come back they're like Three weeks into it, yeah, yeah, I'm hitting pads. I'm good. Let's go get me a fight. No matter how good they look in training, give them two to three months. Something there that needs to come back. There's something that needs to kind of realign. There's something subconsciously there that that needs to repeat, not just once. It's not enough to say I've done like a cycle of a few weeks or a month of training. Like mm-hmm. repeat, repeat, repeat a few cycles i call a month like a cycle so Mm -hmm. that's that's, that's roughly what i'm saying here right um until they're really peaking and you know that they're not getting any better now unless we put them in a fight that needs to challenge them expose them bring them up where we got to really really zoom in have an opponent or a tournament with a bracket where we know in advance where it's like okay this is probably what we're going to face so these are the five or six things we're really really going to zoom in on for the next month and a half and this is how we're going to taper the training these are the yeah. kind of you need to spar with. These are the type of drills you need to do. This is what you need to work on on your own time. These are the the, the things that are going to affect your body mechanics and how the way your body moves that are going to um, facilitate that strategy. Like all of that, like the learning you go through in, in that like one to two months before a fight is exponentially greater learning than just kind of training casually. I you agree. And, and go through that camp to really get to, yeah. It's the thing you said about repetitions. Even back then, you used to say you you take what is it, ten thousand repetitions of something before. Well, that's a it, famous Bruce Lee quote, right? Like, I don't fear a man who throws one kick a thousand times. I fear the man yeah. who throws a sorry, sorry. I don't throw the man who throws a thousand different kicks one time. I fear the man who throws one kick a thousand times, right? Yeah, there's there's definitely something about repetition. There's so so many times where students have said it to me. Where I remember when I was training, I'd be alone in the gym at night. I had a key. I'd come in. I would just be kicking the bag, kicking the bag, kicking the bag, watching myself in the mirror, kicking the bag. 100, 200, 300, 400, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly it's like, whoa, wait a second. I just realized the way to rotate my hip or to slide in or slide out or the angle of the bat or the or how I set it up with this punch or this movement or, you know, you just have these epiphanies, like an epiphany. That's a, epiphany is a, like a realization. Word. It's yeah. a moment of transformation. It's a single ah, moment where you have this realization and it transforms you. And you find those moments. Sometimes an experienced coach can give that to you. Like, um, I remember having an athlete and I would like give him these analogies and I, I swear, like, like his hairs would be standing up on his arm and I could see literally physical goosebumps like sticking up because he understood like how transformative that little drop of knowledge was to his game. Um, but you, 
aside from a coach or, or an expert or a podcast or someone giving you this moment of realization, you find them by exploring your own self. And that comes from lots and lots of repetition and focused repetition, not just like I'm looking at the ceiling and I'm just throwing kicks, but really paying attention to exactly what your body's doing, how you feel, how's your heart beating, where am I tense, where am I relaxed, how far am I from the bag, what angle am I at, where's my shoulder, you know, all of these little, little nitty gritty things you learn so much about yourself by really focusing and lots of repetition. So volume, intensity, focus, good coaching. Those four. Now, I want to I want to shift gears just a little bit, because as analytical and technical as you are as a coach, right, I've seen that firsthand, and I've seen you transform fighters in the corner, the few fights that I got to see live with you coaching them, I was like, wait, this fight's not going so well for our guy, I see you in the corner, and they, he comes out for the last shot, and it's like, whoa, what just happened? He just woke up. I, I really want to address something that that I found consistent uh, in, in your gym's culture in warriors culture, which is no matter where I've got, and I, I've sampled pretty much at that time when I, was, when I was actively training in Muay Thai, every Muay Thai gym in the city, uh, I always take up their two-week trial offers and just check them out, right? Expose myself to different styles. And there's there's only been two gyms. One is Warrior and the other one is SVG. There's only been two gyms where I found the culture was so uniquely welcoming. And I'm not saying the other gyms aren't. Other gyms are fantastic. It's just there's something different in the water at Warrior. I, I can't explain it. It's just when you go there, you realize, oh my God, like I'm not, I'm, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not feeling judged, right? It's just different. You know, being a combat sport, you got a lot of alpha people around you, especially alpha guys. But at Warrior, you produce some absolute killers who are going into MMA now and professional fighting and this and that. But still, the culture was just so unique. I kept coming back and saying, man, there's no place like it. And I've sent so many people to Warrior saying, listen, you want a good gym? You go there because of the culture. It, it, can you speak on how you create that or what creates that in a gym? I don't know. I don't know, really. Uh, <laughs> I'm blessed. It, it, it's not me. It's the people, right? I don't know. Uh, God just blessed me and surrounded me with, with great people. I mean, that, I don't, I, I've interacted with a lot of the other gyms and I think they're all fantastic and I don't consider my gym the best gym by any means. I don't consider myself anywhere close to the best clo- coach in the city, province, or country. So many people, even like, like I, you, you mentioned a few names uh, earlier in this conversation and I can't let those go by without really recognizing them. You mentioned Sharif Bader. Yeah. That's a fantastic like human being. Um, unfortunately, the last time I saw him was was at his father's funeral, but um, just remember, someone yeah. so close to me in my heart and always challenged me and, and asked very intelligent questions and intuitive, amazing human being. Um, you mentioned Fatima Garci, who um, I actually knew way back when I was in university. Oh, really? Uh, I knew her family, yeah. She's from Waterloo and I went to Waterloo. And the whole family, just like incredible people and uh, they're Kurdish and you know, Kurdish people have had like, their share of struggles. Um, and, uh, I know like, like she's gone through so many transformations and use the struggles that she's gone through to, yeah. to empower other people's lives. And she's carved out this like incredible uh, facility and space that's unique to women, um, and sister fit. And I have so much respect for her. And you mentioned Chris Williams, like, man, I don't even know where to start with that guy. I just you guys go back a long time, right? We go way back and it's, it's good, bad and ugly. <laughs> You know, like we were best <laughs> friends for a while, then we had a big falling out and now things are kind of cool. And I just, you know, it's all love. It's all respect. We're all, we're all human beings. Like I right. messed up, he messed up all, you know, water under the bridge, but you know, he's yeah. just really inspiring as a human being, like, like as an athlete, oh my God, like I've never seen anyone work as hard as him and put as much time into training as him. 
um, fantastic leader. Now he's got his own gym, um, mm-hmm. MMA, Marco Martial mm-hmm. Arts, and I know yep. he's going to do really, really well there because he's just very, very passionate about the sport and he's just a great people person. People flock to him. Anyways, um, these are all people that I've interacted with in the past. There's so many other great people that have been in the gym and I, I really don't know what it is about the culture. You're not the first person to, to comment like that. I can only speculate. Like, I mean, I don't see myself as superior to my students. Um, it's two ways. I'm in some ways a colleague or a, a teammate of theirs. I jump in, I spar, they beat me up. I acknowledge that. I don't try to hurt them. Um, I don't, if there's anything I, I will not tolerate in my gym, it's profanity. It's, um, intimidation, it's mm-hmm. ego, it's, um, making anybody who's not super athlete feel inferior. The whole culture and vibe and, and purpose of warrior and the name warrior is because it's named after the athletes that train there. It's not named after me or a sport or a country or an animal <laughs> or anything. Right. It's named yeah. after yeah. The, the athlete and it's the places for them. And you don't have to be a fighter or a champion to be a warrior. The understanding and my, my, my feeling was I want to create something with what I have, which is Muay Thai, mm-hmm. that anybody who comes to the door who is facing some kind of struggle now has an environment and a culture that facilitates and helps and guides and support them to overcome their struggle. It could be self-esteem. It could be weight loss. It could be, I want to get in shape. It could be, I, I want to try fighting once. I want to right. try sparring once. Yeah. Um, I want to learn how to hit the bag properly. I want to be a world professional champion. Whatever their goal is, like it's all the same. There's there's hopes, there's dreams, there's you need support, you need goals, you need mentorship, you need coaching, you need and you need love. I mean, it seems to sound really weird and sappy, like you're talking about alpha male. Maybe this is going back to my childhood and <laughs> like the, yeah. the only boy among uh, uh four four siblings, but love is really the essence of what I try to produce in my gym. I really love deeply and sincerely all the people I've trained with. Um, I call them brother and sister and the kids that train there are like my kids and I treat them that way. And I don't differentiate. And um, me, like I, I love and love, always loved my coaches. And if I was struggling in a fight where I was terrified or scared. And I just right. knew that my coaches were in my corner. I know that they loved me so much like a father. And my parents knew that. And they still to this day tell me like your coaches did so so much for you the amount of time and care and attention they gave you to help mm-hmm. you no other reason i wasn't even paying them i didn't even have to pay a membership at my gym i was a poor family i paid them where and when i could but they never asked or expected it from that's me. amazing wow yeah and they, they would travel with me they would drive me they they'd take me out after fights after training sit down have a coffee with me and we'd talk for hours and they would just invest their time in helping me understand how to strategize and then not only that, they would bring me to their house. We'd watch videos. We'd talk about like war-torn countries and things going around the world. They'd feed me food and Thai food. And, but like so much love. And that was what I believe helped me be successful because I just felt this unbreakable confidence that if I had those coaches in my corner. And I think by default, that, that's sort of how I always approach my athletes. I'm not the best coach. And because of my, my the stage I am at in my life, I could barely put half of the time into my athletes that they deserved and really needed. I think ultimately that's why a lot of them ended up moving on. Many of them recently have like said, you know what, Zabiri, you're a fantastic person. Always want to stay friends with you. I'll never forget what you did for me, but it's time I moved to this other gym. It's closer to home. The coach can hold pads for me every day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? Breaks my heart. Absolutely breaks my heart because I always look at these people as people I always want in my life and I invest so much in them emotionally. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you step back and say, look, I'm also your coach. And because I love you and I care about you, the right thing for me to do is say, I'm proud of you for 
having the courage to have this conversation and pursuing what you feel is best for you in your career. You'll always have my support. My door is always open for you and I'll always cheer for you um, for all of your future fights. And uh, I mean that and, sincerely. So yeah, I don't know. That well, helped. <laughs> that answers you see, your question kind of. No, it does. It, that's the amazing thing is, uh, and I'm speaking from an athlete's perspective, right? Because I've been to so many different gyms and just, you know, seen what the coaches are like. I've seen them at live events, at fights. And I think it comes down to sort of the leadership. Like you said, like Sharif, who was my first coach, who was one of your students, right? Um, the way he taught us, it, it echoed a lot of the way you probably taught him because you taught us that way when we got to, when I got to you. Well, Sharif's unique because he actually probably spent more time at Ultimate Martial Arts under uh, Crew Paul Minhas. Oh, that was, Paul Minhas, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So in, in yeah. oh man, when I first moved to Toronto and I was still competing, I used to teach there, and me and yeah. uh, Paul, we actually used to compete in the same weight class. We fought some of the same guys, and he was just so uh, uh, graceful and accommodating. He said, "Hey, it's a very needed place to train. Why don't you come here?" And teaching some classes there as well. It's actually where I met Chris Williams, uh, wow. Steve Lee, um, Steve Lee from Redemption. Um, yeah. I met him there. Uh, Max, if you remember Max, the, the Syrian brother. Um, oh yeah, Max, yeah, of course. Met him there. Chris Williams, wow. Sharif, Sean Wang. These are all people I met just in my little time there, and if others as well. Um, and you know, I guess we ended up training together. But uh, you know, I, I I wish I could slow down time because I, I don't know where time went. This is such a great conversation. But I would be <laughs> it's remiss. It's me talking your your ear off. That's what it is. <laughs> no, I I love this. Like, I feel like this is like half a paragraph of chapter one. I love it. I, I can't wait to do it again. But before we kind of sum it all up here, I have to ask. Obviously, with the pandemic, right? A lot of business, especially gyms, like independently owned gyms like yours, have been affected. What's in the future for Warrior? What's coming up for Warrior in the future? Is Warrior coming back? And if so, what's the general plan? What's going to be different? What's going to be the same? Honest truth, I don't know. I really don't. I really don't know. Um, you know, I was I've had Warrior for eleven years, and obviously, a huge part of my life, my identity. Yeah. And, you know, we've built such a community. Now, the, the community tends to be fluid. If you it go back 10 years, time, there's yeah. very, very few of those original people that are still there. And I know the people <laughs> I have now are going to move on. And I've sort yeah. of come to accept that that is just the natural way of the gym. Probably the only constant in the gym is me. Everybody, yeah. every could leave, every athlete could leave. I'm, you know, we might change buildings or locations, but I'm always going to be there because it's, it's, it's my jam, yeah, right? Absolutely. But, um, yeah. hmm, you know, it's really hard to say for, for a number of reasons because I don't know how long this pandemic is going to go on for. Gyms yeah. are opening. They open, they close, they open, they close. They're already talking about third wave, which means lockdowns. Yeah. yeah. If we're not in lockdown, you got 10 people max in the gym or in some places, 10 people max in a space up to 20 people in a gym. Limitation. No physical contact. No, no sparring, no pad work, right? No clinching. Yeah. And so, like, what what am I teaching? What am I coaching here? Can I run a business like this? Do I want to run a business like this? You know, like, I got four kids at home. I got I have a family. I have debts to pay. I have a lot of other things to do in my life. Yeah. And I mean, as much as I love it, it's I'm not that single guy without kids who's just living yeah. on my own, or you know, with my dog and can can just spill it all there. If it was just me, sure, I put my whole life into it, but moral and ethical thing is I have to take decisions like this very, very carefully because there's five, six, seven other lives immediately depending on me and even more than that, indirectly sort of depending on me as an elder in 
in my greater my greater family. Absolutely. And then, you know, there's, it's it's extremely stressful too, right? Like, uh, I have my day job, my other recruitment business, trying to be a good father to my kids, a good husband to my wife, a good son to my mom, brother to my sisters, and then. And then it's like, man, I got to make it to the gym. And then yeah. the coaching had him in the gym. Yeah. And nobody knows what's going on. And they're just like, how come Zubair is not holding pads for me? How come he can't stay after class? Why is he only teaching two days a week? How come he can't come with they me don't to see the other corner side me for this fight? And to them, I'm like, I mean, for a lot of people, it's like, well, Zubair is kind of a half-assed coach. Like, what kind of a gym is there where the coach isn't even there all the time? Like, I've had actual fighters from my gym say that to my face or rated to me. Like, what kind of gym is it that the owner and the head coach is barely even there? And they're, they're right. You know, they're absolutely right. And that's not by design. It's not by intention. Yeah. And, you know, there was a, a point where I was like, we have to build a culture. We have so many talented, experienced, A-class athletes in here. You all have to sort of help each other. And I'm going to sort of guide you from above. I'll give you the, yeah. co- the coaching, the tools, the follow-up, the tips, the strategy, all that. But you may have to corner each other. You may have to train with each other outside of my classes and so on but hard for an athlete to do that like athletes you know they're kind of a little bit more spoiled these days they they have opportunity to go to other gyms where they have daily pad work daily one-on-one daily whatever a coach is going to travel with them i just don't know if i can facilitate that at this point in my life right now so this is a huge thing that's weighing on me i could come back to warrior which is always going to have a huge component of training athletes do i want to do that at a time in my life where i can't do it my all is that yeah. fair to me to, right. to to really struggle and I'm not going to get the fruit of it? Is it fair to athletes? Do I, I don't want to mislead people because I have this reputation as this experienced coach and fighter in Ontario. And they're like, hey, I came to you because of your reputation. But I, I don't want to mislead them and say, dude, I can only train you like two, maybe three times a week. And that third one is if you can make it at seven in the morning on Sunday morning. Right. right? Like that's, yeah. that's where we're at. So there's that. And then. Um, again, back to the whole pandemic, like, I don't know how long it's going to be before running a gym is, is a lucrative, self-sustaining, stable yeah. business. Even after the vaccines, we don't know what's going to happen. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's really hard to imagine moving on without Muay Thai and coaching being part of my life in some way, shape or form. Um, but r- really, truth be told, um, time will tell. Right now, as it stands... Everyone's on hold, all the memberships on hold. I still owe people um, a membership payments that they paid me. I will always honor that, whether it's um, we're going to give them the training that they paid for or I'm going to have to reimburse them if we get to that point. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I wish I had a concrete answer. I don't. I don't. But I'm just trying to give you some context as to what I struggle with literally every day. These thoughts go through my mind and it, it's, it's stressful, but I've sort of come to learn how to live with that ambiguity and just roll with it one day at a time. You know, you know, it, it, it's a hard conversation because so many other coaches, gym owners are going through the same thing. Like I went through this before the pandemic and that, that was when everything was just fine. I realized I have to stop. Like you said, I have a family, I have a brand new baby. They have rights over my time and I'm stressing out. I'm losing my own health. And how can I help people if I'm broken? I literally stepped away from my industry for two and a half years because I was like, I can't compete. And I will never compete by taking my shirt off and showing my abs all in every picture. That oh, was yeah. one part you'll, of it. you'll lose as an athlete. You'll yep. lose as a coach. You'll lose as a business person. You'll lose as a dad. You'll lose as a husband. You'll lose. Yep. That, that's exactly how I felt uh, a lot of the time for, you know, even the Warriors considered a successful gym, a lot of great yeah. athletes. The athletes that really, we would have done even better. Like if I could have been there three, four, five days a week training athletes, I guarantee yeah. you would have had 
you know, like like far far better results. The athletes who really made it far, to their credit, guys like Chris Williams, uh, Amin yeah. El Malik, uh, Hashmat, uh, Ferdowski, Bobby, yeah, like they're really exceptional people. Like they helped each other a lot. Eli Halliday, Jordan Buchanan, yes. Aisha, like all these great people. Most of them have moved on. They're not even my students anymore. But they they did it. Sure, yeah, I was their coach, but they put in so much extra time on their own. And it was very hard for them. And I, I respect them so much for even hanging in there with me for as long as they did. But I fully, fully acknowledge that it was hard for them to to train on their own. And it was scary going into the ring. And I didn't even know if I could even make it to the corner. And that day. like, it's super, super hard. So I have no hard feelings. And I have nothing but respect. But, um, you know, many times I feel like a failure as a coach. And then come home and it's like, man, like, you know, my wife, my wife is amazing. She's like so patient raising four yeah. kids and I'm coming home at like 9 p.m. and I've been gone like all day and just yeah. doing their homework, changing diapers, cooking dinner, cleaning up, giving them showers, feeding them, mentoring them, coaching, everything you do as a parent because I'm, I'm not there like, you know, 30, 40% of the evenings of the week. Like it's, right. it's really hard to come home and face that and feel inadequate at home. And so tough decisions, like what do you do? And really ultimately family has to come first. And so, Hard. Absolutely. It's really hard, right? So I don't, I don't have a simple answer for that. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't wait to have you back on for, for, you know, more episodes and, and really get into these things because I've gone through them as well. And there's so much value in people listening to it and understanding that at some point you have to make some choices and stick with them, at least for a short period of time in your life. Yeah. Um, before we close that, because we're almost out of time, uh, I'm going to ask you this question because you have so much experience as, as an athlete and as a coach, uh, you know, dealing with so many people on different levels. Why? And, and I want to ask this because it's a critical question. Why does somebody need to be in shape? Why do they need to be healthy? Why does it matter? Yeah, they don't. Okay, healthy, yes. In, sh- in shape, in what sense? So <laughs> this is a disease of our times, right? It's yes, all about yeah. ego. Social media has fueled this. Yes. I have to look a certain way. I have to fit into this dress. Uh, I'm going to get married. People are going to judge me. People are comparing me to my siblings, to my friends, blah, 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 blah. Nonsense. It's stupidity. You know? Yeah, um, I agree. You know, like, man, like, you, you can't even buy kids' clothes for my, my three and four year old daughter that, that, like, you know, like, man, she bends over and it's going to expose a part of her body. It's like they're being ingrained yeah. from such a young age that the way you look is so important about how acceptable you are. It's a disease. It really is. I've never had a six pack in my life. I've never barely been able to see more than one or two abs or bad bulging muscle. You know, be healthy, like take care of your body. You, you, there are many people who are very outwardly fit, but they're so broken down and yes. diseased internally. Yes. And this is a, a shift that we need to make as a society. You don't have to have a six pack to be super healthy. You need to be healthy and happy. And that means you know, um, your, your organs are healthy, you're sleeping well, you're well hydrated, you're stressed, you're mentally calm, you're confident, you have a strong social circle, you eat healthy, good, wholesome foods, you're not just pounding back with synthetic factory-made protein shakes because you need protein. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, just, it's a disease of our, our times, so a cultural disease and that needs to change. So I can't I'm glad wait. you raised that. I cannot wait to get into this with you because I agree so much with what you just said. Uh, it, it, when you listen to the like first couple of episodes of my podcast, that's where I kind of talk about this. But uh, thank you. I want to thank you in the last minute that I have here. Uh, I really want to thank you for taking the opportunity and, and getting on this call with me because uh, my goal, one of my goals with this podcast and the reason I came back into this industry is exactly that. I've seen so much health and fitness misinformation out there. I just couldn't sit by anymore. I said, you know what? 
before I leave this earth, I need to contribute way more than I did in the last, you know, half of my career. So let's go. Let's go ahead and do it and You're expose the world. I appreciate that. Expose the world to not just what I know, but the people who I respect because they bring true value in this in the realm of health and fitness. And not just physical, but mental, emotional, psychological, yeah, and motivational. Wellness. Yeah, wellness. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh and I cannot wait to do this again. Absolutely. Same here. It's been such a great pleasure and honestly just getting to catch up with you. Yeah, it's um, been a while. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a nice change for me on down at home. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, brother. Uh, we'll thank talk you, soon. everyone. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye bye. All right. What a great conversation, guys. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I was looking forward to this particular episode for a long time now. Uh, over the years that I've known Zubair, I've learned a ton from him. And as you guys can see, he's a very intellectual individual who thinks through the things he's doing and saying. And uh, he's just a wealth of information and experience. I can't wait to get him back on the show again. And on that note, until the next time we meet, take care of yourself, stay strong, be kind to one another, and I'll see you then.